Welcome to Against the Tide. I'm Anthony Garn. Against the Tide is all about disruption. That could be technology, it could be ways of doing things differently, or it could be dealing with challenges which look monumental because they are monumental. Today's monumental subject is homelessness, something that shouldn't really exist. People don't really want to be homeless. They have the misfortune to be homeless and they need help. And in a society like ours, we should be providing that sort of help. But it's such an enormous problem that the public purse typically can't deal with this. Happily, there are some people out there trying to fix this. So I'm delighted to welcome two sector experts on homelessness. First of all, David De Silva, with a long history of working in this sector, who is the chief executive of HOPE, Homes for People, a company providing temporary and emergency accommodation. And joining David is John Dawson, a founder and director of Maishon, an intensive housing management company, deeply involved in social housing and the homeless. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Could we perhaps start, David, perhaps you could help us with this, with a little bit of myth-busting, because everyone thinks about homeless being the people that we see as you walk down a street in, a, in the entrance to a store, it's late at night, and and certain associations, which are probably incorrect, start to hit everybody's thinking. But in fact, many of these people are not those people, they're not necessarily rough sleepers, and their circumstances are much more varied than most people understand. Could you just give us a sense of that? I'm I'm right in saying that, aren't I? It is, um, and it's it's a a, a good question to start off with. Um, I think for all of us, homelessness in our face, in front of our eyes, tends to be, as you said, the person you walk past on the high street, and you try and go through a range of emotions and responses uh, in order to deal with that situation. Um, however, I think that type of client tends to be at the rough end, you know, rough sleeping, uh, tends to involve, you know, substance misuse, alcohol, um, etc. Behind that sort of public image of a homeless person sits, how can I put it, so many subgroups that are affected by homelessness for different reasons. Um, Women fleeing domestic violence being one, um, where they need immediate refuge in order to get away from what's going on in their personal lives. Um, you know, low-offending women leaving prison um, who come out of the door and literally have nowhere else to go um, unless they're picked up by a charity that helps them to find a roof over their head to keep them away from the revolving door uh, situation. Um, families be they single parents or partners who, for different reasons, especially in the current climate, have lost employment uh, and their income has literally snow, you know, dived down to very little. They can't keep their privately rented, you know, tenancy, and they have to present themselves to the homeless department. Uh, and again, behind that cohort sits another subgroup that are invisible uh, people who are basically homeless but are moving around friends, relatives, you know, people call it um, sofa surfing. Um, They have no way of finding a permanent housing solution for different reasons. So there's a a real different uh, strata behind the the obvious on-the-street vision of a homeless person, all these different subgroups that make up, you know, homelessness in the UK. 
David, I know that it's quite difficult to to be precise, but can you give some sort of sense of how many people are we talking about here, just in the UK? The the immediate numbers that probably aren't visible to the general public, you know, in excess of a quarter of a million people were accepted as homeless, you know, at the thirty first of March last year, which is a phenomenal number of homeless people that make up the, the different groups, the different levels of strata I've described, um, rather than your traditional persons, you know, sitting with a cap waiting for someone to drop some money in, you know, these different uh, subgroups of homelessness do contribute to those numbers. And of of that 200, in excess of 250,000 people accepted as homeless under the Homeless Reduction Act, there were uh, over 119,000 people that are single homeless, you know, in single homeless people, again, who've nowhere else to go but have to present themselves the homeless uh, department of their local authorities and be accepted as homeless. And there are two criteria. Either you are homeless and you have to prove that, or you're imminently about to be made homeless. And they're the two criteria. John, can I bring you in here as well? I think earlier you said that it's actually bigger than that. I was going to mention, David. Actually, there is um, there is the hidden statistic, isn't there, of the sofa surfers of, of the ones that are on the verge of homelessness, so one one mortgage default away from being in the same boat, and 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 there's no there's no accounting for that. And obviously, even with recent sort of utility bill hikes and so on, it will affect a lot of people genuinely. And and and, and these numbers, you know, they're only going one way, unfortunately. Absolutely, John. And just to support that, and I think again, most people have picked up. You know, the recent interventions to deal with COVID by government have been pulled. And one of them in particular is now fueling what I would say is probably a little tsunami of numbers. And that's the end of the ban on evictions in the publicly rented sector. Now, I I saw a recent article in excess of 300 people a day are being evicted. Now, that is a phenomenal jump in numbers. And we'll see that, you know, in time to come when the statistics come out. So it's a pretty sobering thought, John. One missed payment on your mortgage, one last one maybe, and then you're out. You're on the street. Is that actually how it happens? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a bit of a snowball effect. It's very difficult to sort of pigeonhole a homeless person in that that regard. Effectively, you know, there are a number of varying reasons. It could be uh, mental health issues. It could be drug and alcohol. It could be asylum. It could be someone coming from a a sort of institutional type background. The military, for example, a veteran coming out and not having the infrastructure around them that they've been used to for the last 20, 25 years. And it's, there's just so many different routes to, 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 to homelessness and and rough sleeping, as David mentioned earlier, is, 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 really sort of the, the, the public face, you, you, you walk past a, a street corner, you see someone lying there, and like you say, the whole range of emotions. Uh, I've, been, I've walked past homeless, um, homeless people on the street, and, and myself with my kids saying, you know, trying to discuss what, what, what it is that's got that person in that situation. And the truth is, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not too uncommon to find, to find uh, a lot of issues that we all can relate to as, uh, that, that have brought that person to that position. Whilst we're on this subject of people suddenly becoming homeless, I think one other point that really resonated with me uh, from both of you talking to me about this was the issue of children. David, I don't know if you want to just pick up on that and explain to the listeners what what I mean by that. 20,000 children recorded as being within bed and breakfast, um, hostel, 
or nightly paid accommodation. Now that is, for me, it was a shock to me because I've got two children of my own and the nightly paid accommodation, you stay there for a night, you pack up and then you move on again. Now, I can't even comprehend how I would deal with that situation with my two kids if I had to deal with it. I think it's uh, it's also important to, to note that the night-by-night night accommodation, the B&Bs and the hostels and so on, it's, uh, it's not just sort of the, um, the insecurities they have about longevity of where they're going to, to call home for the time being. It's more the, the, the compatibility issues that that brings on. There's lots of, lots of different people from different backgrounds with different issues, all, all um, having to, to, to mix and coexist in, 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 in these spaces. And it's, it's just not appropriate uh, or sustainable. And it's expensive as well. It's extremely expensive for local authorities to, to be shelling out, you know, 200, 300 pounds a week for a, for a B&B room. I mean, all these B&Bs you see lined up with, with no vacancy signs on, on the door that it's not full of um, tourists and business people. It's, it, it's, full of, it's full of people who are in dire need of, of safe, secure accommodation. And all the, all the good work that, that, that um, David's doing with Hope is, is, is going to go some way to, to, to get some decent quality accommodation out there that's fit for that purpose that person's needs and that person's family's needs and and and, and give them more than just a roof over the head gives them the support and the guidance they need to to get where they need to go it's the t&e sector that is a bottleneck at the moment which again hope my organization is looking at trying to put some additional numbers of decent quality housing in place to try and improve the supply um, at the moment, and the key point here is across the homelessness sector, demand way outstrips supply. Just to clarify for listeners, T&E is the temporary and emergency accommodation, which is what Hope, uh, David's company, uh, looks to solve for. But can we just go back to the obligations of the local authority under the Housing Reduction Act? Does it work? Uh, Yeah, in fact, I'd go further than an obligation. I would say it's an absolute duty. Um, They have no choice. And just to describe what was there before the Homeless Reduction Act um, and what's come after, before the Homeless Reduction Act, um, the the local authorities, really, all they were doing would be to give David, if I turned up at the desk of the homeless unit, a list of B&Bs and I'd have to go around and find my own space. Now... It's an absolute duty since the Homeless Reduction Act for the local authority to actually find a roof over uh, David's head. It's created a huge pressure on local authorities who haven't got access to housing. They just haven't got. So basically what's now happening is they're having to accept anything and everything that's available. You've both impressed upon me the fact that there are multiple parties having to do their bit to actually deliver the solution for homelessness that we're talking about today. There's the local authority linked to the Housing Reduction Act with the requirement to provide housing for those in need. David, from your side, Hope provides the physical bricks and mortar that you know is appropriate, so high quality. But John, can we just pick up on the charities? Because the charities that you work with, the community interest companies, the charities, they are the entities which actually provide the extra care package for different, if you want, sub-verticals of homeless people. Where you've got um, a refuge from domestic violence and you've got family breakdown issues and you've got 
different types of cohorts and asylum seekers or, or armed forces, veterans or, or specific mental health issues. There are, there are individual charities we, which we work with on a daily basis who are full of, of, of fantastic people who provide the appropriate care and support alongside the accommodation. The housing side of it is, um, is only one element and the compatibility issues is addressed individually by the charities and those charities in some cases might on support provide the, the adequate care and support for them to, to 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 move on david may i bring you in on this because you were talking to me in your capacity as chairman of one of these charities about the impact the financial impact actually of the work that is done when you look at the social impact of what the charities and these kicks do. Um, and we got a social impact assessment done by a special team of consultants. Cost saving to the public purse is £51,000 was the, you know, the overall cost. You know, when you think about it, if there's a crisis on the street, that you'll have to bring in police, you'll have to bring an ambulance in normally, uh, A&E attendants, doctors, nurses, then where does that person go? If they're staying in hospital, the nightly cost of a hospital bed, we all know, is phenomenal. Where do they then go after that? Uh, you know, crisis intervention teams from the local authority. Um, is there crime involved? So there's all sorts of different, you know, statutory inputs that go into that one crisis that builds up that saving. So it's a, f- and that's just one small charity. And as John deals with, you know, a range of charities and kicks, that's a lot of saving that goes into the public purse which is hidden. You've both talked about the very important deliverable of citizenship if you want to the homeless. How does that manifest itself in a practical way? Uh, Certainly and John feel free to add because obviously you've got that direct experience as well. Um, What tends to happen when people's lives crash, especially homelessness uh, clients, by default, you tend to lose all the things that the general public, we take for granted. Um, and not having an address is a key loss of citizenship because it denies you certain um, uh, you know, access to certain types of opportunity that are in the marketplace for people that haven't had that crash. Um, so giving people back their citizenship and equal, I call it giving people equal rights of citizenship, are part of this journey in the homelessness sector. And good quality charities and kicks try and put back in place those rights of citizenship by uh, providing that support and enablement to help people on that pathway towards a more independent lifestyle. So by citizenship, um, take one example, applying for a job. Now, if if David doesn't have a roof over his head, has no address, and I'm moving around, how do I apply for certain things that we all take for granted? I can't apply for a bank account. I can't apply for a job. I have no address. Um, so there are certain key elements that are removed and reduce people's ability to act as a normal citizen that we would expect you know, in normal life. And that's what, what I mean by citizenship. It's not just a, a, a somewhere to keep them warm and dry. It's somewhere to 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 get their lives back on track and and to for for example, we you know we help um, with uh, arranging to be registered at a local GP and dental health. We, you know, there's 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 uh, things like pharmacy visits for medication. We we have sort of fam- family relations. A lot of the, a lot of um, people in crisis have, have their family network is broken down. Support workers will go out and help reestablish that, make connections. 
all the, uh, the things I've heard David talk about uh, before are, you know, the over and above bits, the over and above bits that really do make a difference. Not just talking about what their current critical problems are, but also, you know, introducing a bit of optimism back into back into their lives. And you know, our support workers are, are, are very keen to ensure that. Um, things like birthdays are recognised, birthday cakes are given, you know, I'll have a fish and chip nice, just stuff that's not necessarily anything to do with being out of out of um, uh, proper temporary and emergency accommodation. It's, a, it's the, um, the bits on top which do make a difference. In an odd sort of way, those are the lovely things, you know, the things which change somebody's life perception, the optimism that you were talking about before. But behind that, there's a lot of admin and there's a lot of practical stuff that's needed how does myshon help with that issue well a lot of the charities have um set up with good intentions of, of being able to support the the people that they're specifically passionate about helping uh, but with that comes a lot of added extras so housing management and, and repairs and maintenance of properties and statutory obligations and also governance and being able to be have the systems and processes in place to be able to manage the boring bits while they can deliver the, the, the care that is so important to, to the residents themselves so uh, in some cases my Sean, my company will, will go in and, and will help with that with those those, um, those uh, scale efficiencies if you like to try and um, assist them with uh, with uh, accommodation requirements enable them to do what they do best which is go in and support and support the cohorts that they they specifically look after the sort of bits we add um, or we support the charities with are, are their ability to to collect service charges their ability to to um, to collect rents the housing benefit applications for the individuals that move in and the stuff uh, over and above that such as helping people get to uh, appointments for GP surgeries, helping people with job applications and so on, all forms part of the sort of mixed bag of housing management and support provision. And so it's very much a housing stroke support um, collaboration between charities and, and companies such as mine, my Sean, that do, that do that sort of thing. I think that anyone listening to our discussion would have come to the conclusion already that there are people and processes in place, both at the government level, together with the local authorities, and the charities and indeed entities like Hope and Myshon, who are solving or can solve this problem, or at least reduce this problem. But at the same time, of course, we know that it's growing. That's something that we covered earlier in our discussion. And the events in Ukraine, with the refugees coming out of Ukraine as well, adds to that whole dilemma of looking after people who are vulnerable, not by their own faults, just simply circumstance. And it often ends up, I think, talking about two key things. One is money, because funding is vital to this. And I think we've already debated that actually the public purse is unable to keep pace with the requirement that's there. And then the second thing is around the availability of suitable properties to be able to house these vulnerable individuals. John, in the simplest possible way that you can, perhaps you could just join the dots for us on that. So it's, there's, 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 two, there's two sort of um, two elements, really. So you've got the obvious need for housing, the obvious need for, for housing stock of this nature to be able to provide a roof over the head. So the way Hope is doing this, and David, obviously, feel free to jump in, is, is, is to Take, taking, utilising private money, util, utilising investor money to come and purchase properties 
um, in the UK that would be suitable for temporary emergency accommodation. Now, there's lots of property out there that is currently lying in disrepair, in dilapidated hotels, it's, it's, it's student accommodation that's on the periphery of towns that is no longer um, fit for purpose for what it was built from what it was intended for. There's all this type of property can be completely reconfigured, completely refurbished to, and, and created quality accommodation for, for various charities and kicks and CIOs. Then what would happen is the, the charities would sign a lease um, with hope and then benefit from the long-term secure accommodation provision that they require to be able to perform their core business, which is allowing supporting the properties, uh, supporting the tenants within those properties. There's another element whereby the charities then have uh, an AST with, uh, uh, with a tenant and that AST is, is funded by the local authority by way of housing benefit and service charges. So, so there's lots of moving parts to create what is a, a really positive, strong solution to this crisis, or at least a, a good start <laughs> to, to, to tackle the demand that's out there. And it, it just it just provides solid quality accommodation, a long term accommodation, uh, accommodation rather than rather than the B and Bs and the hostels and so on. That, that is a short term solution, which is a needs must position for the local authorities at the minute. David, perhaps you could just reflect on what does success look like for this sector, for this problem going forward? And and adding to yeah, adding to what John has just said, I mean, from a hope point of view, uh, providing the funding to deliver good quality housing uh, you know, to the kicks and the charities on leases. To sum it up, I think success for me is if we're going to tackle homelessness, we need to address certain strategic themes, certain strategic issues, partnerships, as I've mentioned, you know, where hope. Um, as the provider of private money, works hand in glove with uh, locally based, uh, good, growing, and and getting stronger kicks and charities. Uh, so that's that's key. That pub- public private partnership is key. Uh, developing relationships um, and enabling relationships at a local level to be developed between the kicks and the charities, the local authorities in particular, and the referral sources. So we understand the depth of the problem and the client groups and the type of housing, the locations for that housing. So we are, you know, not speculatively providing accommodation, but we're actually addressing an order book locally. Um, And I can't, you know, overstress the the next point is we need to make sure there's an extensive and quality level of sustainable tenancy support because there's no point providing bricks and mortar no matter how good the build quality is if you don't provide the sustainable tenancy support to the individuals success will not be there and that is a key point. Um, I, I think we're also looking at the probably the fallout of a dysfunctional publicly, you know, a, a private rent, rental sector in this, you know, economy. Uh, it's not functioning. Um, and with some of the changes that have taken place on taxation, etc., more, you know, owners are exiting, ex- exiting the, the privately rented sector. Plus the fact, as I, at the outset I mentioned, you know, circa more than 300 people a day at the moment are coming out of private rented accommodation because they're being evicted. Um, so that's dysfunctional. Um, as I said, demand hugely outstrips supply. 
hope as an organization can make hopefully a, a small dent uh, there but it's 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 a it's an emerging marketplace um, if I can refer to it as a marketplace where it's a it's a huge opportunity for um, you know private capital to be matched by a, a social purpose um, and I would also add there has to be if I'm looking at a strategic level I think politics forget the colors of the, the political parties there has to be some form of cross-party consensus coming together if we are going to find a more coherent sustainable solution to the long longer term problem of dealing with this growing crisis um, if not I think we'll be talking the same themes in five years time and I think the politicians have to accept that put politics to aside we're dealing with people's lives here that have been you know obviously their level of crises have been accelerated by by COVID in the last two years but this is an ongoing theme um, so yes cross-party consensus and it's that political level support to the likes of a hope and more organizations like hope coming into the marketplace it's a huge marketplace um, I think there's plenty of room for more David De Silva chief executive of hope and John Dawson, director and founder of Maishon, thank you very much for your time today.